How's it going everyone and thanks for checking out the Grit Outdoor Collective podcast. My name is Caleb Matthewson and I'm a fly fishing guide, an outdoorsman, hunter, a traditional archer, and an ultra marathon runner. You know, ever since I was a little kid, my passions have always been around fitness or the outdoors. And so the only thing that made sense to me was to share stories of people that had done the same thing and that love the outdoors and fitness as much as I do. And so the purpose of this podcast is to share stories of outdoorsmen, outdoors women, that work hard and live the outdoors lifestyle, whether that's hunting, fishing, backpacking, camping, homesteading, whatever it is, they have amazing stories and I believe these are some of the best people on planet Earth. And so follow along with us on the Grit Outdoor Collective Podcast. All right, so it's recording now. And then of course someone decides to start texting me. Yeah. Which helps delete all that out of the, <laughs> the deal. But all right, well thanks a lot for um, again, for being on the podcast, um, for those of you that um, that are that are listening, this is the Grid Outdoor Collective podcast, and we have Micah Howard on, um, and he is fly fishing guide, um, bluegrass and country artist, from what I from what I understand. Um, yep, <laughs> something like that, and uh, yeah, which will I definitely want to hear about because I've seen I saw one of your videos of you playing a. Um, you playing a oh shoot for a dobro is that the right is that what it's called is that what you guys call it yeah i kind of cheat with it though some bluegrass pickers might pick oh man no it sounded how i play it well i play it because i play guitar and so when i saw that i was oh, like cool. yes there's somebody that plays it more like a guitar and i could learn how to do that yeah yeah um it's but, got its sound i mean you pluck it like a guitar and it's yep it's got that ancient bluegrass feel to it. it sounds like it's coming right out of the smoky mountains is what it sounds like yeah, I know. It's like one of those little zingers that pops out of these cracks up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was excited to, to have you on the show just because I see what you're doing um, in, you know, in the in the music world, but more specifically fly fishing. And man, I mean, fly fishing is great here in Colorado, but I've seen some of the videos um, and, you know, content that people have put out fly fishing in the in the Smoky Mountains, specifically on the Teleco River. And so, I was really excited to talk to someone out there and just hear more about, you know, what you guys do, um, like, you know, what's popular in the outdoors there as far as hunting, fishing, um, just because it seems like it's a totally different world than out West, like you said. And so I'm curious to hear like what all you do in the outdoors there and, um, yeah, what's, you know, what's, you don't have to tell me secret spots or anything, but I'd love to hear what it's, what it's like fishing and hunting out there because it's so different from where I'm at. It's. I guess the biggest difference out here compared to out West is it's just thick. I mean, I mean, we're in jungle here and we have a plant that's pretty, that's indigenous here and kind of after they logged everything in the late 1800s, rhododendron bushes popped up hard because they didn't have that high canopy to, uh, you know, dampen them down. Right. So they're, rhododendron is freaking everywhere up here so if you're claustrophobic some of these backcountry trips might get you peeing in your pants a little bit but (laughs) but yeah i'd say that's the biggest but um yeah it's our game is smaller than yours obviously but i mean we do a lot of turkey hunting there's a lot of bear hunters in the South Cherokee National Forest. It's one of the, uh, let me say this right, one of the most frequented bear hunting areas east of the Mississippi. 
So more humans are visiting the South Cherokee National Forest in Tennessee. And uh, some of them are great people, but it's Appalachia, man. <laughs> There's some crazy stuff that happens out here. You'll meet some individuals that, that uh, they're a little out there. Yeah, so, I'll bet. The fly fishing community here is, um, it's really cool. We got a lot of young guys out there. Uh, Jesse Huddleston up in Gatlinburg. He's really fun, doing some great things on Little River there, which is the only brown stream that flows in the Tennessee side of the park. But okay, uh, he's he's got some special talent going on. That's really the cool thing that's happening here. I don't know if that's happening out there, but the youth getting involved with fly fishing, you know? Yeah, it is. You know, it is. And it's, it's gotten really popular. I mean, everything in Denver is getting, getting popular, it seems like, because so many people have moved here in the last yeah. Yeah, 10 years or whatever. So there's a lot of people fly fishing, which is good. And it's good and it's good and bad. Good because there's more people into the sport. Um, and that obviously yeah. helps. Um, there's a lot of people in Colorado already. And so the pressure can be kind of heavy, but, Um, one of the things that, so like one of the things that's a big deal here is tailwaters, um, fly fishing tailwaters. And I actually don't know what, I I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen stuff on the Teleco river a little bit, but here tailwaters is such a big deal. Number one, because, you know, you can, because of the water coming out of reservoirs, it can be fished all year round, even when it's zero degrees, the water is coming out of the bottom of the reservoir. So it doesn't work over. Um, yep. the negative is the fish get pounded all year long, 12 months out yeah, of the year consolidated. Right. Are um, there so many spots. Exactly. Yeah. And so everyone flocks to those, but the good, the good thing is in Colorado, there's actually a lot more than just that. Like most people, when they think of fly fishing in Colorado, um, have you ever fished out here? Yeah. Uh, my brother guided at Breckenridge Outfitters and I was still in high yeah. school and I would fly out there and I kind of held his pocket. And that's kind of where fly fishing kind of ramped up for me. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Frisco for a year and visited him for like four years. Oh, no kidding. So I love Colorado. I was a gaper for a little bit. Okay. (laughs) It's gorgeous, man. It is God's country. Yeah. That's one of the. The blue, so the blue river. Yeah. Right there where you, you would have fished that. Yeah. yeah. The, that's yeah. That's one of the pop, most popular tail waters in the state. Yeah. There's some, there's have some you ever been up to uh, in summit County, a, it's a snow melt Lake above the tree line called crystal Lake. It's kind of in between. I, I know it's where at the I've top, there, but I've not fished it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. Man, that is when I die. I believe I will land in heaven and that will, it will be that it'll be right there. Yeah. It is crazy up there. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Um, and did you, so did you didn't guide you, did you guide for when you were in Colorado or you, you were too young then, huh? No, I was too young. Uh, when I got out of high school, I moved out there for a little bit cause my dad was living there as well. Just kind of fair. And then I joined the Marine Corps, did that for almost 10 years and did five deployments, three to Afghanistan as a rifleman, and loved and hated every minute of it. But it hardened me up, and I really I attribute it to a lot of 
the things I'm doing with the outdoors right now, because I kind of, you know, being miserable on the field and sleeping in rain and almost sleeping and basically floating that kind of stuff, the austere environments, yeah. it hardened me up and I'm able, it gave me this like longevity to grind through the, the thickness that's in these mountains and get to some of these attainable, unattainable places quote. Mm. Cause, uh, yeah, I really owe a lot to the Marine Corps and that's what I did. Got out and then moved to Nashville was doing the country music thing. The Nashville country music. I'm still doing it, but I was doing it the Nashville way. Yeah. 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 Which that's, that's a long rabbit hole to get down. But, uh, yeah, I got tired of the city out there, man. And I really never dealt with Teleco, but I had heard about it because we used to come up and off-road on it. It was a huge right. off-roading destination. But thank God they eventually shut that down because that destroyed those mountains. All the rutting up, killed the brook trout almost. So uh, our, our Trout Unlimited tractor here, Hawassi Trout Unlimited, they're like getting, they got all this data and samples and basically said this off-roading is destroying the, the entire ecosystem up here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I moved to Nashville and that's how I heard about Teleco started coming out here. Cause it was the closest, uh, high, high mountain blue line, Brown trout area to Nashville. And, uh, Sorry, I got birds in my chimney. Oh, no, you're good. I don't know if you hear them. <laughs> I did. I got uh, some swallows in my yeah. chimney. <laughs> There's a bird in there somewhere. I, I can't get them out. I got a shimmy down in there, and I guess. I don't know, whatever, what, yeah, but, uh, I don't know what you do. Drop. Yeah, so Teleco is the closest high mountain brown, wild brown stream to Nashville. So I started coming out there. And really fell in love with it and saw how much it healed and uh, figured out the kind of brook trout that are up there. And it is ground zero for Appalachian brook trout yeah. in Tennessee. We have something very special going on with our brook yeah. trout up there. Yeah, so I've heard. Now, how long ago was that when when the um, the Trout Unlimited chapter decided to how long did they, when did that change happen where they started? I think that was, don't quote me on this, but I want to say, uh, going on 13 years now, maybe a little longer. Yeah. That's a fairly, that that seems like a fairly quick change. Cause from what I understand, yeah, the brook trout populations are doing very well up there now. Um, they're doing extremely well. It took a good 25, 30 years to get, so we had a similar, not not similar in the sense that we had four wheeling issues, but similar in the sense that the native trout here in Colorado, the greenback cutthroat, was thought to be extinct, and in like the fifties yeah. or something, they found a population What's in that Crystal Lake. Yeah, yeah, that's where and, I fell yeah. in love with that fish. Right. So yeah, they yeah they and it it took a long time for them to get like decent populations going, but now it's like anywhere you go here, uh, where it's it's high in the mountains, you're either catching at least on the Eastern side, you're either catching brook trout or you're catching greenback cutthroats, which is kind of a cool yeah. thing. It was such a, such a sought after fish, you know, 40 yeah. years ago. Those are probably the two most beautiful trout 
there are pattern wise. Yeah, they are. Do y'all consider brook trout a trash fish out there? Somebody was telling me that. No. Um, so, so one of the things I was going to say earlier when I was talking about tailwaters is most people, when they think of fly fishing in Colorado, they immediately go to, at least when people want to come out and they want to get a guide and fish here in Colorado, they want to go to one of the tailwaters. They want to go to Cheeseman yeah. Canyon, Decker's Blue River, you know, something like that and catch big brown trout or big rainbows, right? But, yeah. and that's where most of the people fish, but there are hundreds of miles of small mountain streams in Colorado where there's cutthroat trout, brook trout, and wild and wild browns, as well yeah. as high mountain lakes that hold Colorado River cutthroat and grayling. And yeah. so people, and so that doesn't get pressured as much. And so I, I think when, when people think of tailwaters, I think they wouldn't think of brook trout as something that they would pursue, but yeah. trash fit, like I've heard a lot of people recently talk about rainbow trout as being like the trash fish because they were introduced yeah. And then they took over and like catching a brook trout or catching a cutthroat or like a nice, like bright yellow brown trout would be considered like the ultimate thing to do here, um, which yeah. is weird because rainbow trout can be very pretty, but when they're stocked and they're so like, I don't know if you've seen like a washed out stocked rainbow trout that looks almost steelhead like, but those oh, are yeah. almost trash fish because they hang out in the lakes and then they yeah. move up when they spawn in the spring and they just look like they're just not pretty fish yeah. to be honest. So yeah. yeah. That's uh the Midwest steelhead kind of thing. Right. That's kind of what yeah. it looks like. Cause that's where they got them is they got a Midwest and then they planted them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's, in, that's interesting. I haven't heard that about brook trout. Cause I know they're not technically trout. They're like a different, but they look so much like trout. We just call them brook trout. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, uh, Rainbows are actually one of the top 10 most invasive species right. there is right. for where they can thrive. Yes. So that's why you're, especially out here in the southeastern Appalachians, we're catch, we catch so many rainbow dinks. They're everywhere. Yeah. Just like if it can hold truck. But the thing about them is, is, I mean, I'll throw rainbows out sometimes, a lot of those dinks, because you're actually helping the stream because when you have so many mouths to feed in a section, mm -hmm. you don't really produce those bigger fish unless there's a big brown in there who's feeding off those rainbows. Right. But browns tend to consolidate. But one thing we're finding here in Teleco is, um, might let out a few secrets here. We're, we're finding these big loner br dinosaur browns and basically these little mountain ditches. Yeah. And where they're at, you won't find any rainbows or anything like that. Hmm. But I've seen them there and they're very ghostly. They're very wise. The browns that we had, the wild browns that are like 15, 20 years plus up here, are some of the smartest animals I've ever encountered in my life. Oh, yeah. And I think I ever will encounter. When they're by themselves like that, and they're just like the apex predator in that stream, they are just brilliant, man. It's like this genetic biome that's morphed in evolution with them that just kind of 
I don't know. It's fascinating to me. It's, it is what I'm all about right now is figuring what that is and what that aspect is with these brown trout. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting creatures. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think I found the same thing because when I first started fly fishing, it was like, I caught some small Browns in a local Creek here called bear Creek that runs from like Morrison, which is a town just outside of Denver up to evergreen. And I, I catch yeah. a brown trout and I was like, man, I really want to catch a rainbow. And it took forever before I caught one. And that was six years ago. And now when I go to Bear Creek, it's like all you catch is rainbows and it's hard to catch a good, it's like little rainbows. It's hard to catch a good brown trout. Yeah. Um, and so when you, when I finally did that and caught like a big hook jaw brown trout on one of the, one of the canyons here, I was like, oh, yes, this is what I've been lo- looking for. Is there's yeah. awesome fish. They're so hard to catch. But they're they're great. Y'all are able to catch those big browns on hoppers and dries for a good amount of time throughout the year. We don't really have that. Our fish are feeding, I'd say, around 70% subsurface throughout the year. Yeah, I I think, and it depends, and again, it depends where too, because here it's dependent upon pressure. And so, if, if you're fishing on like a tailwater, the chance of catching something on a dry fly is so low because they're so pressured. Um, and yeah. if they do rise, it's to little like tiny. Uh, we have this, this, um, we have this, these hatches here called trico hatch, hatches and they're like, yep, yep. So you have size 24 flies is what you're throwing dry flies. Yeah, and so yeah. if you get that on a tailwater, you're lucky. But if you're fishing, you know, the, the mountain lakes and the small streams that aren't pressured, like there's a few streams here that, I'm not going to name on the podcast because not that I got a lot of listeners anyway, but I don't want to name because I don't want somebody to go up there and mess it up. But there's some streams no, you, you can could find one there. day and like you could have that guy that goes back through all your stuff. That's <laughs> yeah. what I do on Instagram. I see somebody catch a fish. Yeah. I'm like, where did he, where did he get that? like a CIA agent? <laughs> I've t- I found see if he's fishing my hole or do I, how do I not know about this? Right. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, if you fish, there's some places here in Colorado, the small streams that once they, once the ice off, once the ice is gone from May all the way until October, you can catch fish on dry flies. I mean, they're, they're not huge. I mean, they'll be max 12 inches, but man, it's so much fun. Um, but the tailwaters, it sounds like really similar to the Teleco river where it's pretty much just subsurface almost all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause I fished the Gunnison running through, is that Delta? That's sick. And I was throwing Trico's and it was amazing. We never get anything like that here. Yeah. That's why we do a I lot would... of tight line nymphing here. It works the best. Okay. It's just yeah. the way to go out here. Definitely. Cause everyone, we kind of use, I use a 10 foot three weight syndicate syndicates out of knoxville here that's all i use it's like a swiss army knife it's a three weight or a two weight but because it's 10 foot it kind of balances out to four five six weight okay got it but we're just i'm literally like reaching out there with a long light magic wand yeah drift drifting tungsten beads up under rhododendron branches and bouncing off rocks to where these fish yeah. never expect it so we got a lot of spinner fishermen here yeah. that's kind of our thing and you know bait checkers and they're ripping spinners throwing corn at them and we, <laughs> i'm saying we get that a lot more than i think y'all get out there oh definitely yeah yeah most 
fly fishing is definitely more popular here than yeah spinner fishing but in the winter a lot of people ice fish a lot of people ice fish here yeah that's something i've been wanting to get into that sounds like yeah. a beer drinking time it's a, yeah <laughs> it's it's a different experience because when you're fly fishing yeah. as you know you know you're you're focused on what you're doing and it's very active and it you yeah. know, it's, you're focusing on you know your fly or your indicator or, or your line or whatever it is but when you're ice fishing, it's a, it's a good relaxing beer drinking, yeah. beer drinking time or bourbon or whatever you want out in the mountains. So it's a just, it's just a different game, totally yeah. different than fly fishing. But, but what um, I mean by those bait chuckers is they're ripping those uh, spinners past them all the time. They right. see it nonstop. Yeah. And when the water's up and they're busting up, you know, bait fish, they might hit that spinner and that's when those, uh, spinner bubbas, we call them. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's when they, you know, get that once in a lifetime brown that's so nocturnal throughout the year, but it it poked yeah. its head out there. But the only other way to get those fish is thick line, heavy Euro nymphin. Yeah, everything up here. Do Do you guys use to like the the jigged? the jig tungsten beads, you know what I'm talking about? Where the, Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's starting to get more that trout there. set. It's that trout set. When you come up at this angle yeah. or this angle, that jig hook just rocks up in there. Yep. Yeah. So it's fun, man. Yeah. That's starting to become a big deal here because, you know, as the fish get, as the fish get pressured, um, they start to get wise to strike indicators. And so a lot of people are starting to jump on the, um, the Euro nymphine or tight line nymphine or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And that's, you know, I've done it a little bit. I'm not great. I'm more of a dry fly fisherman. And so, um, I've, I've been trying to learn it. And more importantly, I've been trying to learn how to teach it because I want to be able to teach clients when they come out here, um, that I guide, I, like they got in, they got to figure out how to do this because sometimes some days it's going to be the best way to catch fish, especially when it's so pressured, like we're going to Cheeseman Canyon or Deckers or something where the fish are, yeah hammered all year I found long. that uh that bass fishermen that have never fly fished before you put a euro rod in their hand and within an hour and they're like fishing it really good I yeah, think it's because yeah. of the concept of subsurface right they kind of grew up in that so a tight line nymph and really clicks with them whereas you know dead drift in a dry or a or a indicator that's so hard for them to wrap their head around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a different, it's so it's, that's all like, yeah. If you're, if you're like dead drift nymphing or dry fly fishing, that is like hundred percent opposite of, of any other, of like any other type of fishing. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not drifting it right, I always just throw a woolly bugger as a, yeah. as an anchor fly. Cause they cannot dead drift that thing and they'll get hits. Yeah. And sometimes exactly. they'll catch the biggest fish cause they're moving meat, you know? Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what I do too is I'll tie, I'll tie a, I'll tie a some, some kind of big woolly bugger or something crazy looking as their lead fly and then something small. And then that, that's what'll get the, especially the new anglers. That's what, that's what'll get them some hits for sure. Yeah. But, but then on the flip side with uh, teaching clients tight lining versus not um, guys who have, you know, who are purists, especially older fellas, especially the bamboo guys. 
<laughs> it is so hard for them to comprehend uh, your own FM because yeah. they just they can't. I don't know. It's the same concept. They just can't wrap their head around that side of things. Right. Yep. That makes sense. You know, I was talking to. Um, so I did, I did a podcast with a guy, a guy named Dwayne Redford, who is, he's a fly fishing guide out here. Um, and he, so he was talking about tight line nymphing as well. And he was saying like, like, yeah, fishing dead drift nymphing with an indicator became popular. He said, but, but what he had done years before that was, was either tight line nymphing or they would, he would just watch the end of the fly line. And, and it was kind of like a long, long line Euro. Oh, nymphing yeah, yeah. Style. yeah. And so he's like, that's all I did before. And so now as yeah. this Euro nymphing is becoming popular, he's like, well, that's all we had before. Cause we never used strike indicators. And so that was just what we were used yeah. to. So some of the older guys, that's the thing about it is the old timers here in Tennessee have been fishing since the thirties, forties, fifties. They were tight lining up here. That's all they right. did. Yeah. But they used with like, you know, a traditional fly line with the leader and a tapered leader. And they would just wash that tip. And I do that a lot with uh, big articulated meats. Right. There's a guy, uh, CJ, daggummit, he's got a huge beard. CJ Lord. He's out here. He, he's out of Raleigh, North Carolina, but he fishes the Northeastern and western north carolina but northeastern tennessee and that's what he's doing he he's just taking a regular uh fly rig set up on a 10 foot three weight and he uses orvis and he'll just flip an articulate up underneath that roto let it dead drift and then jig it up at like a 45 degree angle and try to pull those big browns out of there right so that's kind of what we're doing. We're starting, we're refining that technique a little bit. And that's really the cool part out about Tennessee right now with fly fishing is there's not a whole lot of documentation on methods that have been used here. Anything that's here. I mean, it's old timey around here. So it's been a lot of word of mouth. Mm. We get overlooked because out West is awesome. Right we get overlooked for that. So people are mostly trying to get Western philosophies, but there's also this Eastern philosophy here with fly fishing and it's, it's subsurface and it's big meat and it's, you know, pulling fish out as opposed to a lot of dead drift in what you do out West. Yeah. So, and we're creating these techniques. Some guys doing this and say, Hey, that that's cool. That works. And then we'll, you know, do what the Japanese do with our cars and just kind of dazzle up, dazzle yeah. it up and make it better. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Is I, I, because I had looked a little bit into, you know, fly fishing out there when we were looking to move, and it's there's some surprising because, like you said, all that fly fishing, you know, when people think of fly fishing, they think of of Montana or Colorado or what or whatnot. And there's some yeah. amazing fishing in, you know, in the, you know, the app, the, you know, where you guys are at all the way up into, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, there's some incredible fishing out there too, that people don't even realize. Um, and there's, and like you said, it's the same cause we lived in Massachusetts for a little while and we had some friends that fished in New Hampshire and Maine and like no one, 
there's nothing, there's not a whole lot going on up there. It's a bunch of people fishing up there, keeping it quiet. And yeah. there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of outfitters. There's not a lot of, um, of videos made. Uh, I mean, there is of course, cause social media is huge, but there's not as much as you would see in Colorado. And so there's, there's just, there's amazing fishing that a lot of people don't know about, um, in Tennessee, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, places like that. Yeah. South and, Carolina, S- South Carolina is where I'm originally from and it gets real. There's some good brown trout streams. Yeah. The thing about the, this area is it's not so much just Tennessee, not so much North Carolina, North Carolina kind of hogs a lot and the other States kind of butt up against Mm -hmm. North Carolina and whatever. So, you know, you'll be fishing trout in Tennessee, but North where you're catching trout in Tennessee, North Carolina is never more than 30 minutes away. Right. Yep. Kind of thing. Yeah. So how far is it from Teleco Plains to the border? Uh, because it's so wind as the crow flies, it looks like it'll take 10 minutes, but because right. it's so windy, it, it's about 45 minutes okay. from the town that's, where that's our fly shop I, is. Yeah. That's kind of what I figured is about, yeah, 45 to an hour. Yeah. Not too bad. Um, so what do you, so do you hunt, do you hunt out there as well? I know you probably do. You probably turkey hunt cause you mentioned that, but do you do any other? Yeah, I suck at it though, man. That's these turkeys here piss me off. I've heard turkey. I've heard hunting easterns is really, really tough, especially these mountain birds, and uh, on public land, it's tough. Because yeah. these mountain birds, I mean, hell, they can be on one ridge. You got them. You're talking to them, and you shoot down to go get him, and he's on the way other ridge, yeah. way over there, <laughs> and it's going to take you half a day to get down there and get back up. Right. To them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you're moving in slick a lot around here. Yep. Once you're down in the valley, like where I'm at right now, where I live and where most people live down in the Tennessee river Valley, they're everywhere. Cause they're farm birds, but right. I'm not really into anything easy. I like to really make things hard for myself. <laughs> so I like to go for those hard mountain wood birds up there, you know, make things hard for yourself. Like go to Nashville and, Try to do music, the country music, the Nashville way. Yeah, man. I always take a big bite out of something. Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, I mean, you, yeah, you know this cause you live, you were out here, but yeah, we have Merriam's turkeys out here, which are just, it's a totally yeah, different they got experience. The white tips. Yep. They got the white tips yeah, um, they're and they're very pretty birds and uh, they're, they're talkative. The tough part is finding Cause the low, once you get to lower elevation here, it's a lot of, it's a lot of private land and which is where most yeah. of the turkeys are. So finding public land is tough. Same thing and, here. And then once you find the public land, there's a lot of people. And so, um, yeah, but they, but they're talkative birds and they're pretty and it's really cool to shoot turkeys in the same area that there's elk and moose. You yeah. Know? That is really cool. Like we saw, we went, so my dad and I went up to Rocky Mountain national park last weekend and we went up there to fish. And in the span of, 10 minutes of driving we saw wild turkeys and then we saw um mule deer and elk and then we found moose droppings where we were like moose sign where we were oh, fishing that's so cool. in a span of 10 minutes it's just it's crazy the, these yeah. birds are up in that kind of mountain country but yeah it's it's just a different but it's you know we haven't done a ton of turkey hunting out here turkey hunting isn't as popular here just because we have you know elk and moose and mule deer and mountain goats and sheep and all kinds of different 
crazy animals. Well, I've I've got some buddies out in Delta, and they turkey hunt out there every spring. And yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, didn't y'all have an issue with turkey numbers back in like the eighties and nineties? Yeah, it it got really low then. Um, I wasn't here here. I mean, I was here, but I was you know two. But it, it was you know yeah. it, it was rough for a while, but it's definitely picking up. There's been a lot of work by the the wild turkey national wild turkey foundation put in a lot of work into making sure that there's a decent amount of birds um and so now it's you know there's plenty of them you just have to know where to go it's like it's like pocketed so if you know where to go you find the right spot there like i somebody has somebody has a bunch of turkeys here in my neighborhood which if you if you saw my neighborhood it would it would it would make you laugh but we live kind of we live in lakewood which is like a suburb of denver and somebody had some turkeys here at one time and then they got, they just kind of got loose 20 years ago. Oh, really? and there's this flock of wild turkeys. And I was jogging the other day back, you know, on this residential street early in the morning and a rooster crowed and then a turkey gobbled. And I was like oh, looking around at all these houses, like where in the world are these turkeys? And come to find out there's this, you know, there's this park and then this water conservation company that had all this land. And there was oh, yeah. a flock of turkeys out there and there was a, a tom out there gobbling, knowing that he'd never get shot because you can't hunt over here. Just insane. So there's I plenty of the turkeys down on the Colorado Plains. Yeah. I bet you there are a lot because it's pro. It's got yeah. like that Oklahoma terrain going on. Yep. And Oklahoma's like me- turkey mecca. Yeah, yeah. You know, eastern Colorado is more plains. And um, and Cottonwood River bottoms than it is mountains. Actually, if you look at it on a map, um, the large portion of Colorado is east of the mountains, and it's yeah. a lot of plains and stuff. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of turkeys out there, and it's not all Merriams. There's it's a lot of um, a lot of Rio Grande turkeys, and then um, another kind that I can't remember right now, just from Nebraska and stuff. But yeah, uh, it's it's quite an interesting scene out here when it comes to comes to turkey hunting. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, y'all have a lot of big, big animals out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, if you ever see a yeah, if you ever see a moose in the wild, if you haven't, if you hadn't when you were there, it'll make you about pee your pants. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple. So there tall. used to be moose that would come down to the. Uh, it's a little shopping center with like a pond and a bridge over it. I think it's might be in Keystone or close to Beaver. I don't know. In that Summit County area, but yeah, there's yeah. a mo- every winter. It seems like the elk and the moose come down to the lower areas in the winter time. Yeah, yep, they do. Because that moose would come down every winter to, yeah, know, eat crap around the pond and scare people. Yep, people <laughs> with Gucci bags. Yeah, right. That's exactly what happens. That's such a weird Summit County, specifically like. Keystone and Dillon, which is another town right there. Yeah, they're all Dillon. Kind of, yeah, they're all kind of like one thing. But the weird thing is like how many people that are like tourists that aren't from Colorado that come and drive nice cars and are dressing way too fancy for the mountains, and yeah. they've never seen a wild animal, and so uh, seeing a moose or elk, they don't even know what to do. It's it's just a it's a weird area because there's so much wildlife. And so many rich people shopping <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's just an interesting mix and an interesting area for sure. That's one of the most expensive places in Colorado to live 
Otherwise, I'd be glad to be up there. Well, when I was there, I left because I couldn't find friends. I never met one year-round local there. Oh, yeah. they Yeah, very, very few. In fact, I don't – what did you say? So you said your brother worked for a a guide out there or worked for an outfitter. What was the name? Breck Outfitters. Breck Outfitters, okay. Breck Outfitters. I I know that there's – so I so I had, um, I had talked to an outfitter out there. It's now it's Trout's Fly Fishing, because they have the fr- oh. they have a Frisco location. Yeah, and so the head oh, guy okay. there, Zeke, used to have a fly shop there, and I can't remember if that if that's the name of it or if it was something different. Um, but I had talked a little bit with Zeke Hirsch is the guy's name, and he now he runs the he runs the guiding operation for Trout's Fly Fishing as well as the Frisco location in Breckenridge. So he's got like a, just a guide service that he runs a, he runs a shop. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So trout trouts has kind of taken, not in a bad way, but trouts has kind of taken over most guiding in Colorado just because they have a, they have several shops and quite a, quite a few guides and a lot of permits. So, um, but he, yeah, he was up in Breckenridge. So I wasn't, when you said the name of where your brother worked, I thought, I wonder if that's the one that he owned before Trout's yeah. bought him out or, or whatever, however that whole thing worked out. But, um, oh, anyway. uh, yeah, but, that's interesting. How, yeah, so he's a striper guide in South Carolina now. Your he brother is. People on, have you ever caught a striper on the fly? Like on a nine, 10 weight? I've oh, caught, man. I've caught a lot of it's different fun. fish. I've caught a lot of different fish, but I've only caught trout and um, kokanee salmon on a fly rod. Okay. That's you, what need we've a, got. you need to broaden your species because there's some really fun fish out there. Striper's one of them. Striper? Okay. And well, I know. So, up, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, yeah, this, this year the plan. So we're moving. Um, my wife and I are moving to Wyoming actually um, in a couple months. And. So before that happens, I want to get up and catch. So there's a lake that hold. There's a couple lakes that hold Arctic grayling here. Oh, cool. um, so I've caught kokanee salmon, which is the other like random species we have here. And I want to make sure and catch grayling because then once we get to Wyoming, then I can start to go east and try to catch different stuff just to try yeah. a few different things. Well, I guess I've caught whitefish. I've caught mountain whitefish, which I don't think you guys have in Tennessee, but it's just like a no, we don't. But yeah, it's just kind of like um. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's similar to striper actually, because I know what a striper yeah. looks like, and it's it looks similar to that. And it's a fun fish. They fight hard, from what I understand. They're good eating, and they're really pretty fish. And most people just don't think about them because they want to catch trout, and they yeah, want to catch yeah. trout and salmon. Um, and so whitefish is kind of like this random species that nobody really thinks about. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I think our white well our trash fish uh, you'll catch a ton of shiners and chubs up here oh really is yeah. so we have um i don't know what chubs what chubs are but we have suckers here is that the same thing same thing, thing. Same yeah. thing. okay yeah so i have caught those i just don't tell people that because i feel embarrassed that i caught such a disgusting fish well it's a, it's uh it's a red horse it's just a small red horse that red horse Wait. carp which we get a big run of them um, that come out of our big Tennessee River system, and they'll run up Sitico, which is a sister stream to Teleco. Okay. And they'll eat the uh, 
eat the rainbow eggs because the rainbows come up there, lay right. eggs, go back to the, and then the red horse cut. And the red horse are pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Fit. I mean, they're red. They kind of look like a horse. So really? when those chubs and suckers get real big, I don't know if it's the same species as. They're, sim- they're, suckers, they're so. similar though. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they're similar, just not the same. Yeah, because the suckers here are like, you catch one, it's almost like you want to leave it. Because they do the same thing. Is they they kind of hurt the rainbow and the brown population. So it's like, you kind of want to just leave them on the side of yeah. the road. <laughs> you know, if they're just that kind of fish. But, you know, yeah. it's different. Yeah, it's interesting to hear Yeah, stories from, from the East Coast fly fishing. Because I know it's good out there. It's just, there's some differences as well as some similarities. And um, I know I really want to come out there fishing sometime. I want to fish the Teleco. Um, for sure, because when we were looking at moving out there, I, I looked at every video I could find on the Teleco River and how they stock and what kind of fish you can catch. And the southern, um, the brook trout species you have there, which is just one of the most beautiful brook trout species in the world. And, yeah. um, and I was like, I got to get out there at some point and try it and catch something. Yeah, that's a, we have uh, one of our streams in Teleco has. Oh. Uh, well, there's some debate with that, but it's very close. We thought it was the most pure Southern Appalachian strain of brook trout there right. is. Um, but we just had a biologist. And we asked him that that is handling, you know, all the conservation and studies with them, and he said, "Uh, well, they're at least top five. So okay, wow, yeah, I, I would say that we definitely probably have the most pure and if i'm wrong on that and somebody sees this mm. let me know but interesting yeah I'll, we have I'll the most that pure. That's, that's fascinating because we have something similar with the the greenback cutthroat here is different yeah you know? yeah the colorado river cutthroat and the rio grande cutthroat and the the greenback cutthroat at some in some places they kind of mix a little bit and so you get kind of a hybrid but um yeah, some some, but there are some places in like in Rocky Mountain National Park specifically that are pure, like from the original, the original population they found in the fifties, greenback cutthroats, which is really kind of a cool thing to catch because they look wild. They're really colorful. Um, are those like, getting any size there? Those greenbacks? Uh, no, not not the greenbacks. The Colorado River ones, yes, but the greenbacks, I've never caught one more than. I mean, I'm sure there's bigger ones because I'm not I'm not the the measure for who's going to catch the biggest fish. But I've I've caught some seven and eight inch ones, but nothing ever bigger than that. Um, they're still pretty yeah. small, and it's just because they you know they're in high mountain streams. The water's cold. It's ice most of the year. Um, yeah. There's a very small feeding window, and so they just don't you know they don't they don't grow as much as as much as something at a lower elevation because the water has to be so clean, so clear. Um, cause the, they, they call them an indicator species. And so if they, if, if greenback cutthroats can survive in a stream, that means the water's as clean and pure as it could possibly be in Colorado. Yeah. And yeah. so they just don't, they don't get that big, but they're, they're fun to catch. And, you know, it's the kind of fishing you do with a, a seven foot three weight, you know, <laughs> because then you feel like you're pulling in something. If you, if you're fishing with a, if you're fishing with an eight, you know, a nine foot five weight, you get a strike and you set too hard, you'll send the fish flying kind of thing. So you don't definitely don't want to do that with a cutthroat because a park ranger will get at you. Yeah. 
Well, fishing right. for cutthroat out here is very similar to fishing for brook trout here because yeah. um, they have to be separated from the browns and the right. rainbows here because the browns, I mean, they'll clean them out. Yep. The rainbows, they're so swift that they'll starve them out. They'll get all the fi- all the yeah. food before the brookies do. Yep. So there's a natural fault line that goes the whole Appalachian range from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And um, any any section of that that water crosses, you got a falls there. Yeah. So um, the conservation efforts have been to put brook trout above those falls to separate them. And that's really worked out tremendous because the brookies just dominate, you know, whatever water they have. And that's really why we're seeing for and I don't know why brookies were so small for so long but they're starting to get really big around here especially Mm -hmm. up in virginia and west virginia and tennessee and north carolina are right behind them on that um it's not going to be long and we're going to be catching 20 inch brook trout just like when the cherokee lived here you know that's awesome yeah that's that's so cool i hopefully we get to that point with the greenback cutthroats here but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I want to know what's going on with that. They should yeah. be able to get some size and dwell. Yeah. I mean, like like I said, the the Colorado River cutthroat is no. I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some big, like twenty five inch plus cutthroat trout caught in Colorado, but they're Colorado River cutthroat and they're stocked into like tailwaters, and so I've seen that, but it's it's they they look totally different than than like a like a mountain cutthroat trout is they're they're yellow and orange and they're big and they just look um yeah they just look totally different but it, it could happen if it's managed correctly um i don't know enough about that to say like whether or not we're doing a good job or but i feel like at some point especially in some of the lakes that could happen um yeah. if the water's clean enough and if um if the the greenback cutthroat or you know if they have enough time to get that big, I think it, I think it could happen. They were, they could get to 12 to 15 inches, but it's just going to take a little bit of time and some really good management. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, Southern DNR management is it's weird because the way the state of Tennessee classifies trout is a trout, which there's two types, especially around here. There's a stocked fish and there's a wild Yep, same here. So, you know, the world, you know, the guy caught, there's a guy, he caught the state record brook trout here. Yeah. I think it was 20 inches. It's a stocked fish. Right, right. It's an adult Easter egg, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's an adult Easter egg. Yeah. So, you know, the hatchery goes and hides them, and then all the adults come out and find yep. them. When they so, yeah. um, so that's where we struggle and and with that and it's even kind of worse than that because they really think of of trout as like a bass yeah and a bat a largemouth bass especially around here can live in the hottest dirtiest you know algae ridden pond and be fine he's actually happier in that a lot in a lot of cases but these trout especially this far south where it's such a fine line of temperature. Um, 
these trout need perfect water to survive. Right. So we made efforts and I've talked to some of the guys about, um, you know, catch and release streams like Colorado and out West does mm-hmm. a great job at. Yep. And always the excuse is there's not enough data to support that catch and release would benefit the stream. And that's just, so, that one right there is hard for me to wrap my head around. How could not that not benefit it? Right. You know, I how think is all these guys coming and ripping fish out of here weekend after weekend, eating them like it's some dirty bass, crapping <laughs> them out, you know, some 20 year old brown that's a brilliant, you know, yeah. so huh. that's kind of what we struggle with. You know, I had, so I had, I had a conversation with, about this with a, another, another guy that I was chatting with that he lives in Alberta. And so they have a totally different management program up there than they do in, in the U S and, but one of the things that we talked about is, is catch and release is bent, is bent, totally beneficial up to a certain point. And it's really hard to measure that certain point because the certain point is dependent upon how, not just how many people are catching each individual fish, but whether or not that fish is being handled correctly, yeah. like, is it being, you know, are they wetting their hands before they touch the yeah. fish? Are they getting it back in? Like, how long are they fighting it? Are they getting it back yeah, in the yeah. water? Quick enough? <laughs> are they foul hooking it? You know, stuff like yeah. that. Um, and so when catch and release becomes um, negative is only when there's so many people fishing poorly that they're foul, they're foul hooking fish they're handling it improperly and then it's happening again and again and again to the same fish. So then, you know, like I've, I caught a fish that had like, like a hand, a very obvious handprint on it of infection. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Because someone had handled it poorly with gloves or they didn't wet their hand or whatever. And so, so, but up until that point, which again, that point is really difficult to, to quantify catch and release fishing is the best thing that's happened to fly fishing since, you know, composite yeah. fly, fly rods that weren't bamboo you know so yeah. um it's a positive thing but like in colorado it's become there's so many people fly fishing that now we have to teach people how to handle fish properly and we have to teach them how to you know, have to teach them like yeah you got to wet your hands and you can't wear a you know a wool glove you know you gotta you, you gotta yeah. keep them wet keep them in the water that kind of stuff but um yeah, yeah it's interesting that hopefully that catches on because i i did look at some of the I watched a video that the DNR had done on the Teleco River and how much they stock it, which is surprising yeah, to me it's because in, too much. Yeah, in Colorado they rarely stock, and when yeah. they do, it's like everybody jumps on it. But it was interesting, like where they they stock every week in the certain months, yeah. and it was man, I couldn't believe how much how much they do well, it's it a, there. It's, it's a political game because if they stop stocking, they're gonna piss off all the bait checkers i mean they will rally and get pitchforks and torches (laughs) it'll happen so that's (laughs) that's kind of why that it but it can i mean we found some incredible wild fish in there but those fish are dodging just death every day you know especially opening season after delayed harvest if we didn't have delayed harvest um teleco would be in a lot of trouble yeah but it thrives even with this pressure it still thrives it's still a fruitful stream yeah there's so much life rating at radiating out of it 
And it's because of where it comes from. I mean, it comes from the ridge, you know, the one of the highest points in North Carolina. And that other side of North Carolina going east, I guess you could call it the panhandle of North Carolina, is has slick rock wilderness, and that's the most remote wilderness east of the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. So where the Teleco comes from, I think it's able to thrive by the time it gets down to the consumers. Yeah, yeah the consumers, <laughs> the bait checkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did. Well, I mean, I want, I want to, how much, are you good on time? I, I want to make sure. I'm yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. I did want to talk a little bit about, um, about the, the fitness aspect um, just because that's been, that's been a big part about, that's been a big part of my outdoor journey is cause I started, yeah. I was a, like a trail runner and backpacker and a hiker, mountain climber before yeah, I was. You're a badass. You're doing and some funny so, stuff, man. Thanks, man. Um, and so I was, I was curious what, you know, what you've done fitness wise to get ready for the outdoors, because I can imagine, you know, in any place there's mountains, but I can imagine in a place where there's mountains and heavy, thick brush, um, the level of fitness needs to be, you know, fairly, uh, fairly high. Um, so I'm yeah. curious what you've done to, to prepare yourself and what kind of work you've done to be ready for being in the mountains for hunting and fishing. I just kind of, I mean, I keep it simple, stupid. I just sweat for an hour every day. That's kind of, I just, you know, I just make it like that. And that's a goal I kind of do every day, whether it's working hard in the yard, going to the gym, but I, I really like to go to the gym. I'm hammering the gym kind of in the winter and, there's no off season here, but I guess you could consider that our off season because guide trips slow down. So I'm really in the gym a lot. And, uh, like now not going to the gym as much because I need the energy to get out there. And if I'm doing a guide, it takes me an hour to get up to where we start fishing. So I'm already up there. So I'm, you know, hiking, walking miles of stream because right. I fish super fast. We all fish super fast up here. I mean, we are booking it upstream. Yeah. <clears throat> Rock jumping and all sorts of stuff. And that, that expends a lot of energy. So <clears throat> like now I'll go to the gym and work on legs and just stability. And uh, it's amplified by the activity of being on the river. So I kind of break that up 50, 50 because there for a little bit, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I kind of just stopped. And when I was in the Marine Corps, I was chiseled Spartan could run 50 miles, drink a a case of beer afterwards, you know, kind of. And when I got out, I kind of stopped and my body shut down. My back started going out. My knee like started rapidly turning into an old man because when you're, active duty gunslinging in the Marine Corps for almost 10 years, you're actually scientists. There was a study done that shows that a Marine grunt ages seven years to one year, but your body's still doing that. So as long as you maintain it, you're good. Once you stop, I've noticed, and I see this with a lot of elderly too. Um, once you stop, start having excuses, to, oh, my knee hurts or, you know, you give into those ailments, it really starts to consume you. Mm. So 
um, I got over that pain by working out and just really that river saved me and just these mountains. Yeah. Save those military ailments that if I don't keep, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Right. You have to keep moving. So that's just what I do every day. I keep moving. If there's tasks, I hate this world we live in of sitting at a computer all day. Cannot stand it. Ironically, as we sit here on a computer talking. (laughs) I know exactly. But I mean, I feel for a lot of people, you know, guiding, I've met so many interesting people and a lot of retirees. And I see that they had some kind of desk job, executive job or something. And they did that for so long. And some of them are in their fifties and they can barely walk down the road. You put a, you tell them to walk over a rock. It's like climbing Mount Everest for them. Yeah. But then I've had some clients that same age, but have that mentality of, you know, just keep it moving, keep moving, keep going, you know, find time to move your body at least. And they always look younger and they're always right with me. Right. So I've seen that with guiding, especially how physical fitness can either make or break you. It can lead you to the promised land or it can, there's so much life you'll miss just because you can't get there. Right. You know, was it, was it difficult? Do you think to, to strike? Cause that, cause when you're in the military, except one of my friends that, so the texts that were blowing up on my phone or on, on the computer, I don't know if you can hear that ding. No, I can't hear it. Okay, good. Then I don't have to edit it out, but someone just texted me and my phone, my computer was dinging, but um, he's, he was in the Marine Corps too. Um, and he said, he said that it was a struggle to try to find the balance of working out to be healthy without pushing yourself too hard once he was out. Yeah. In the military. Did you kind uh, of feel well, that a little bit? Hell yeah. I mean, I, I literally pulled my bicep the other day trying to unhinge. I did that TR. I did arms with TRX really got right. my buys going. So I'm trying to get big arms. Yes. Ego. Yeah. And, uh, As we all want. <laughs> and I was trying to lift, this dude's fly out that he got hung up on a rock and my arm just went Poosh, echoed Ooh. through the water. I'm like, Whoa, thought I broke my arm, but my mind was like, um, Oh, you need to take the day off. You're hurt. Mend it. Yeah. But you know, Sergeant Howard came out and he's like, no, <laughs> yeah. Take a little bit to let it relax, you know, heal up and get back at it, do what you can do. Cause what motivates me is I got some buddies who are missing legs. Now mm-hmm. I got a good buddy. Who's a triple amp and really him. I mean, he was like the most active guy, uh, state championship soccer player in Alabama, all this stuff. And he lost three limbs in Afghanistan and, He's still doing like Ironman triathlons of how he can do it. I mean, he's went, he's doing races and everything. I'm like, if this dude can do that, why am I crying over a little pulled bicep? <laughs> yeah. You know, put your yeah. head down, keep pushing. Because I mean, 
It's all about getting there. I don't want to not be able to get there. Nothing is ever going to hinder me so much that I can't get to where I'm trying to go kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's cool to hear that. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I appreciate all everyone that I've, you know, I've talked to that's been in the military. I gotta, I gotta tell them I appreciate them so much and I appreciate you for what, for what you did. And it's, like I've, I, what I, what's interesting, what I've seen is how many guys that were in the military that served that when they get, when they, when they're done, uh, when they're done being in the military, um, how much of them attach them, not, a, well, that's maybe that's not a good way to put it, but how many, how many guys that have been in the military find so much, um, rejuvenation or peace and fulfillment from the outdoors after they've oh, been yeah. in the military. They, it's, it's that will end the suicide crisis. The right. outdoors will do it. Yep. I've, it's the I've number one that. factor I've seen that helps vets because I guess when you get out, at least I felt like the lack of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. That, but really the lack of task and meaning and there's always a task in the outdoors and right. then you can either be by yourself or you can be with whoever you want kind of thing. Right. And dudes always want to come with you. You know, you always have a buddy to that's doing this cool thing that'll take you on with him and vice versa. So yeah. Yeah. Do, do you guys have, um, is, is project healing waters out in Tennessee? Have you heard of that? Oh yeah, it's all over here. Okay, There's good. Yeah, just, three, four chapters of okay. them here. I wasn't sure, honestly, if it was just a Colorado thing or not, because I know it's out here, and because uh, that's been that's such an interesting thing that I've noticed too. Is yeah, how many, how many, yeah, how many guys in that that have been in the military that are dealing with PTSD or you know whatever it is, um, go find something to do in the outdoors, and that and that that's that that saves them, you know, and it becomes such a um, such a healing yeah. thing, which is, it's so, it's really cool to see. And, and I'm really looking forward. I haven't guided a, someone in the military yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that just because I, I hope, I hope I can play like a small part in helping, helping them overcome whatever it is they might be dealing with. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's cool, cool to hear you say that. You're not the first year. person I've heard that. Yeah, I did one last year. It's pretty cool, but, yeah, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely the way to go. I was going to, caveat i forget oh sorry my thoughts you off and your train no, of you're good, man. um so i did i did want to i know this is an outdoor and outdoor and fitness podcast i did want to hear about your music a little bit um what are you doing right now for for music i noticed like you were playing a lot of small like just a lot of stuff locally um in like in teleco planes and, and stuff so i'm curious like you know, what, what kind of music you're doing now, what you're focusing on or what you have planned or, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to talk about it, but I'm just curious cause oh, I'm, no. I'm a musician I too, but to. I, I'm not, I never market my music enough. Right. I'm not, Man. I'm not really into the music thing for, you know, to make it big and be a big star and sure. go on a hunt with Luke Bryan. I'm not doing anything like a fence hunt, mind you. Right. Yeah. No, it's not the same. <laughs> But I'm doing it because, you know, I guess seeing some dudes, young dudes die, it's like, what, what is there, what can I do to let people know I was on earth while I was here? And really yeah. my best ability to do that is music because 
songs. You can put anything online right now. You can you can really establish a song with yeah. the way we're able to create content these days. So that's why I do music. But things have been going pretty. I got a new single coming up, and it's a song that's based out of Teleco about uh, Mason Evans. He lived up on Star Mountain for 40 years back in the Overmountain Settler days. Okay. And he was yeah. a hermit for 40 years. I just found that story fascinating. So I made a song that's it's going to be released, I want to say next month, but it depends on okay when Spotify takes uploads. Yeah, I'll definitely I send it. I'll definitely keep an eye out for it. Um, but yeah, I have two, and this is where people get messed up because I got, I have two Instagrams. I have a fly fishing and a music. Yeah, I so know. I have I crossovers. That, I wish I had just made one Instagram and kind of, but I kind of, I've, I've been running with both of them. So I'm stuck now. Yeah. And now you gotta, you got all these followers and so now you gotta make the people happy. I think social media is great for all that. I mean, I hear a lot of people complaining about social media, but if you use it in the correct way as a tool, like, I mean, I met you through it. Yep. Absolutely. And it's, and it's got so many facets to it and basically it's the new yellow pages i get so many guide trips via instagram definitely yeah that's how our our outfitting business i say are as if like you know i'm just a guide Um, but greg my boss he um that's that's how he's running most of his stuff is through through instagram but then also through go guide which is like a I don't know if you yeah you've seen that, but yeah, he, yeah that's they're out we, here. We use them too. We just a lot started of using them. Yeah, that's been that's been you know that's been great. It's a it's a great way to do it. And he's found most of his off of, off of social media um, as well, which is which is kind of cool. Well, yeah, I'll be I'll be looking out for that new single because I, I like your music because I've always thanks man. You no, know, today's most most of today's country music is um is is lacking. It's run uh, through the big machine. Oh man, yeah, the it's national got makeup machine. all over it. It's yeah. it's made for the. Uh, can we cuss on here? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's made for. I don't know if I should say that. My it's son made for the blonde chick. <laughs> it's made for the blonde chick down on Broadway in Nashville, wearing cowboy boots and a miniskirt, who's drunk off her ass to go into Tootsie's and shake around to Luke Bryan. <laughs> That's what that is. Bentley, don't repeat that. <laughs> My son's sitting over here. I'm like, I'm like, no, son, don't say that. <laughs> no, I, I agree. He's he's he'll be four in just a few days. Oh, cool! I got a. My boy's three. Okay. Three. Yeah. Yep. He's he'll be four in a few days, and then our daughter will be two in August. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're right. In fact, we just got him a guitar for his birthday, and so oh, he's yeah. been strumming on that. I was playing because I I. I don't play like I I lead worship at our church, so I can play and sing, but I don't I don't and I can play like I don't, but I haven't recorded or done anything in country music, but yeah, um, but I I've learned some songs, and so I was playing um, Dave Fenley's version of Grandpa by the Judds. Have you heard that? Oh yeah, yeah. And so I was playing oh, that. That's like he always asked me to play it. He's like he's like Daddy, play the Grandpa song, and uh, and so I always have to pull out the guitar and pick, and then he tries to pick along and on his little his little vinyl string tiny yeah. guitar or whatever but yeah. yeah that's music use it's something happened in the 80s and i think it's because we came away from the blues sound yeah if you notice 
modern country doesn't have that like bluesiness to it. Right. And yep. blues is the crux of American music. It's rock and roll country, all bluegrass really. Bluegrass yep. is blues and Irish yep. jig mix. So yeah. I think that's what's happening. So I've made it a point. I mean, I grew up on Almond Brothers, Leonard Skinner, yep. Marshall Tucker Band, yeah. Keith Whitley, all that good stuff, the Judds. Yep, so those are old. There's yeah. actually a movement going on right now. It kind of broke out with Tyler Childers and Cody Jinks, and Chris yep. Stapleton was a lead on that. And they're calling it Americana, but it's really just real country. Yeah, it's the original you know, blues-based country that the way it's supposed to be, which is that's why I like. We're calling it alt country. Yeah, and it's just country. Yeah, you know, exactly. this new stuff—it sounds like Baptist church music to me. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. what it sounds like. It's it's. So, uh, but yeah, when I, I hear been, church, when I hear a song and I hear church in it, you know, like a Baptist with all because Baptist churches, Southern Baptists have all the gear. Yep. They got the nicest soundboard, everything. Yep. yep. So when you hear exactly. that, that's, I'm done. That's funny. That's the that's the job that I almost took is is the is directing all the dealing with all the music and the sound and video and stuff at a at a Baptist church in Madisonville, um, and it ended up not working out. But but yeah, it's funny because that type that's that's like what has infiltrated into modern country music, and I've really enjoyed listening to your stuff just because just because it has that blues that blues bass to it. And one of the other, I can't remember what the name was. Another is a band, someone that you had put on your Instagram at some point. I can't remember their name, but it was oh, a, I put a lot. A, I'm always yeah pumping up my buddies and good music. Um, 49 Winchester. No, it was the, water bridge band. the steel woods. Oh the yeah, open for them. Then, yeah, in Virginia. And then the Low Water Bridge Band was the other one. That's man, I love listening to that too. It's because that's that's like my favorite type of country music to listen to, bar none. Yeah, Low Water is my Virginia boys. Yeah. Uh, James, the lead guitarist for them, he's a big fly fisherman. Okay. And uh, we went brookie fishing not too long ago, and I caught. If you look on my Instagram, there's a really nice brookie that was up there. So I don't know what the heck is going on with brookies in Virginia. I cannot explain it. Where these brookies are sitting north of Tennessee, North Carolina, you will not find them sitting down here. It just can't happen. I'm really interested. And that's just it. I mean, that's just, it's not just Tennessee. It's not just North Carolina. Right. Virginia, West Virginia, that whole line is just full of, it just keeps getting better the yeah. more you go up. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love, yeah, I love, I love brook trout. I love fishing for brook trout, catching them there. I just think they're pretty looking fish. Um, it's, it's cool to see that they're growing so much out where you're at because, because they're growing here too. And it's, it's one of my favorite. Cause I mean, I mean, I know you guys like, I know it's a little bit different style of fishing out there, but here for whatever reason, like if you're dry fly fishing, you know, if you, if you're fishing for, you know, brown trout or cutthroats that are pressured, you know, you kind of have to have a perfect, you know, perfect, good, good cast. You know, you have to have a really good presentation. No, no, but if you're 
fishing for brook trout, sometimes you can just have an ugly cast and the fly will land in the middle of a tangle of leader and a brook trout will oh, come they're out. They're honestly pretty dumb. They're Are they? pretty dumb fish. That's what they're I like here. That. So much fun. I love it. I've seen them do some really stupid things. Yeah. It's <laughs> the cool. only thing, the reason they're so prized here is because it's the only native fish and yep. it's the effort to get to them. Once you're right. there, it's kind of easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the way greenbacks are here. Is they're not they're not necessarily hard to fish. Um, if it's in like there's some places that get pressured, but if you hike back into the mountains and you find a little small stream, getting up there is the hardest part. But um, catching the yeah. fish isn't difficult because they just you know you just tie on the the biggest the biggest hopper pa- pattern you got that you think the fish can eat, and and they'll they'll attack it. And once they figure it out, you just move to the next hole. Yeah. Their mouths are so big. Have you ever noticed that? Their mouths are almost as big. It almost goes halfway down their body. So they can eat something almost as big as they are. And I've seen them do it too. Yeah, exactly. They get get really, they're extremely territorial and they bully the crap out of each other. If you observe them, there's always two of them in a line just like nipping it the females and just bullying other fish around. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it easy to spot because they're always moving. They're out hiding behind a rock or something. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, man. I've actually thought about doing a, starting a new trend. It sounds kind of stupid, but you know, it (laughs) it takes so long to get to them hiking in some of these areas. Um, and to really get to the good water, and that's just not for brookies. I mean, that's for all fish here. Mm-hmm. The further you go, get outside a cooler dragon distance, the better. Yep. But I've been sure. thinking about coming up with a sport of intertwining ultra running and high altitude fishing. Interesting. So I've you basically this- run your run up to a really far out there reach area you run out there you fish it i mean you speed fish it yeah and then you come back down simple but nobody's doing that i have not seen anyone do that well you know yeah i haven't videotaped it yet but (laughs) so i've i've thought of the same thing because because yeah that's what i was doing before i was fly fishing i was running ultras and um and you know colorado's just got beautiful mountains to run in and then great fishing and some of the areas that I would, that I fish now, I found out about because I would run, you know, I'd be 30 miles into the mountains running this ultra and I'd come across this stream where I'm seeing all this fish yep. and I'm like, there's nobody up here fishing this. Exactly. So I go back and fish it later. So yeah, so I've done it and I've thought, it's interesting you said that because I've thought about that same thing too, maybe not turn it into a sport, but, but you'll definitely see this summer some videos on my YouTube channel of me doing that, of running up to running in Rocky Mountain National Park up to some high lakes, catching some cutthroat and then, yeah. And then flying back down the mountain. So yeah. Do, I mean, do I it. was, I was doing it for a while up in the national park because anywhere in the national park, I mean, it's just like a big hill. Talking about really look at it from space. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that's really worth a damn, it's going to take you a while. I have yep. kids. So I get out there at like, 1 p.m. I'd throw on my ultra shoes, put everything in a pack. Wait, it was hot. You know, you want to really do it in the 
summertime so you don't have to carry as much run up yeah. there put my wading boots on fish and i would catch great fish yeah in a half a day and then run that's back awesome. down <laughs> yeah exactly that's the, that's the way to do it um and well, people look that, at you like you are nuts <laughs> dude i that's well whatever if we're catching the fish then <laughs> whatever you yeah, think exactly yeah um yeah i'll definitely because there so there's a yeah if you're i was gonna say if, if you're ever out in the out in the west we'll have to we'll have to go do that is run up to something and catch I'm some crazy fish. There's, there's a lake so my this took a little bit of research and um, I'm not going to, sh- I'm not going to share where it is on the podcast, but my uncle had come out here with one of his friends and they found this mountain lake in the, in the mountains somewhere near Leadville. Um, they found this lake way up. There's no trail to it. It's not marked anywhere. And, and the only way to get to it is to hike up this trail. Like you're going to this, this one place and then you break off and go up an avalanche chute. Um, and basically take this tiny little trail that's you can hardly see up to this lake and he says that you know basically you'll be catching 12 to 15 inch colorado river cutthroat on hoppers all day because nobody ever fishes it if three if three people fish it in one season that's heavy pressure because nobody goes up there because most people don't even know it exists and so this summer i'm like i'm gonna get i gotta get up there i gotta i'm gonna run up there fish videotape it all and then you know try to get a good a good video put together without you know without making making sure i don't get too many peaks in the background because i don't want people to figure out where it's at but <laughs> yeah yeah I just get up there and catch some good fish yeah i live for that yeah. i i live for the untouched areas yeah that's that's the some people, so many people like don't think they exist i've noticed right. They think, you know, we've explored everything. You got Google Maps. and mm-hmm. Yeah, you got Google Maps, but nobody's going to that cliff right there. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of, easier to find it on Google Maps than it is to get up to it in real life. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Cody, who is my best bud who runs Teleco Outfitters, he's really the only – we him and I get along so well because – I mean, he's hungry for the backcountry. Yeah. He, uh, I haven't met anyone so passionate about what's going on up there. Than, and he's originally from Southern Illinois, guided in the Black Hills for a while. Okay. Got a fisheries biology degree. So he's like a bug fish nerd. Yeah. And I mean, he, it's really good to have someone to keep up with. And, yeah. you know, you're trading off that competition of keep up. Right, right. It's, it's, I, I found that that's really, it's like a gym partner almost, you know, you're going right, to yeah, stay disciplined with the partner. Yep, exactly. So we're just, I mean, we'll have hour long conversations of just what's going on up there. And him and I have keyed in on a lot of changes that are happening with the Smokies that, I don't even think biologists know about right now just because we're getting out there. Yeah. You're out there a lot more than they are. Yeah. Yep. So we call it fern gully up there. Yeah. Right. Like I said, gully. Right. Yeah. Like I, like I said about Colorado, I mean, most people, they come out here to go fly fishing. They're like, Oh, it's way too crowded. And it's like, yeah, there's, you know, the same, everybody goes to the same 
same rivers, but there's so much more untouched in the backcountry that people just don't, it just takes driving. It takes driving an hour and a half and then it takes, you know, hiking for a couple hours to get to it. But once you get to it, it's the best fishing in the state, but people just don't put in the work for it. Um, and I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot better And this is, and this isn't just Colorado. This is Wyoming, Montana, Tennessee, um, the Carolinas, like all those places, there's still untouched water that doesn't get fished very much, if at all, that you can find if you just put in the effort. Yeah. Um, and man, the fish might be smaller, but the, the views and the, the being, you know, being by yourself and catching fish consistently is, is worth it. What's well, it's the, uh, it's a proud moment, even if you do it. I mean, I do it a lot. And when I'm done with it, it's kind of a proud moment, you know, Yeah. you just did all that, went through all that crap, discovered that place. And I don't know, when I was a kid, I was really big into finding treasure, Yeah. <laughs> you know, always wanting to know what's out in the rest of the world. Like, What's right. out there I don't know about. So this really quenches that thirst to yeah. uh, do because you're finding treasure all the time. Yeah. It's just never ending. Right. You know, yeah. and then cool. on top of that, you know, fly fishing is, it's a skill. A lot of people are intimidated by it, especially in the South. That's why you see a lot of spin fishermen. I think, and I, I'm assured that it's because they're intimidated by it. You know, and that's, that's why fly guides have a job because it's the ignorance of bringing people in or bringing people in with that kind of fe ignorant fear yeah, and just showing them how easy it is. But even as a fly fishing guide, I, I'm competitive. I'm a Marine. I want to be the best at this. I want to leave a mark on it right? and just, I stay thirsty for it constantly. There's always yeah. something, but it's all the what ifs, yeah. you know, it's real easy to lay in bed and freaking get on Instagram and dream about it, but it's all sitting right here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I want to, I want to respect your time and I, I appreciate you yeah, taking man taking the time. Yeah, it's, it's been a great conversation. Like I said, we didn't, yeah, it's, it's, the podcasting thing is weird because I don't, you know, I don't know any of these people that I end up talking to at first and um, you just never know where the conversation is going to go. And man, I, I love what you guys are doing out there uh, as part of Teleco Outfitters and love your music and, and Thanks, love man. seeing what you're doing on the, in the, you know, the outdoors and all that. So um, yeah, I appreciate you taking where are the you time. Guiding? I, I never got that. Yeah. Um, native waters fly fishing. Is what it's what it's called. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm one of the. So yeah, Greg, my Greg McCrimmon is the owner, and he has. I think there's four of us on the guiding staff right now. Um, yeah. And it's kind of new, so we're not doing we're not doing a ton. And I had done some guiding, a little bit of guiding for random people here and there, but so this is the first like consistent guiding job I've had. Um, good, and then we're gonna try. I'm gonna try to take it to Wyoming if I can, because there's a lot of good. There's a lot of amazing fly fishing in Wyoming in the. Um, in the Bighorn Mountains and I mean, around the, around Yellowstone National Park, that is still same thing untouched. There's a lot of fly fishing yeah. out there that people haven't tagged into yet. So, yeah. That's why I like, you need to come to Teleco. Yeah. We have a really special guiding thing going on here. I would say I've, and I've worked for them. There's a lot of 
especially in the pot populated areas once you get up around the watauga here which is a huge destination mm -hmm. it gets really saturated with guides so yeah. that's why we fell in love with this place because it's it's a great fishery but there's not too many guides here so, i noticed that yeah. yeah yeah that's the cool thing i'm hoping it kind of stays that way it should but, yeah unless i move uh, out there and start a guiding business <laughs> <laughs> yeah come on come on man yeah, yeah we'll, we'll <laughs> really see what we could have another or two i mean there's so much yeah. land out there and water yeah there really is yeah well yeah man well thanks a lot is there yeah. so you want to say real quick like where people can find find you on on social media both both the fly fishing stuff and and for your music where people can find your stuff and maybe you can get some more maybe you can get some more people listening to your music yeah. so my fly fishing is southern ghost underscore fly fishing and then my music instagram is the southern ghost yeah southern ghost is it came from kind of the songs i write it's ghostly you know roaming the hills up here hunting for yeah. blue lines and and i have like a ghostly tone i had a buddy kind of coin me as that so I, I thought it was really cool and ran with it and then it's the same thing on facebook and okay don't really deal you, with Twitter too much. Okay, I'm glad you. I'm glad you explained that because I forgot to. I meant to ask about it. And I forgot to ask about the Southern yeah. Ghost. Thing. I thought that was so cool, and I was like, "Oh, there's got to be a good. There's got to be a good reason for that because it fits you so well. It's like the perfect. It's like the perfect, uh, not persona, but um, yeah, I don't know what you call it, but it just it describes you really well after talking to you. So yeah, I think yeah. it's a cool name. Yeah, kind of running with it and yeah. making songs on it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm excited to hear more of your music. Um, it's on Spotify, right? Some of the, it will music. be on Spotify and everything. If you follow my socials, the music side of it, the Southern Ghost stuff, you'll see yeah. all the ads. Everything social media now. It's the yellow yep. pages. <laughs> yep, that's what, that's what I'm trying to do too with all with all of this and trying to get some. Hit it know, up, man. No shame. Just yeah. do I'm right, get... treat fish well, treat people right on it, be genuine, and hell, it's yeah. good. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, well, yeah, thanks a lot for, for being on the podcast. I, I've really yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation, and man, at some point, either I'll be out there or, or hopefully you'll be out here, um, but at some point, we'll have to go fish and yeah, we need get, to in, plan get in a run while we do it so we can test out this ultra-running fly fishing thing. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. All right, brother. Have a good one. Hey, thanks again for checking out the Grit Outdoor Collective podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure and, and leave us five stars and leave us a review and make sure and hit subscribe. We're also available on YouTube, so make sure and go onto YouTube and find Grit Outdoor Collective and you can subscribe there and, and check out some of the videos that we've got available on there too. And thanks again for listening to the Grid Outdoor Collective Podcast.